Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back. Thank you. We have another listener question this week. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So this week's question is from Al. Thank you for writing in. Al starts with, I love the podcast. Thank you for loving the podcast, Al. We love doing this. Sal. Yeah. Uh, He writes, you mentioned in several episodes about the value of investing in international and emerging markets. Can you please advise, suggest an index to capture each or both? You mentioned the S&P 500 and the Russell 3000 for domestic, but what about for international? Understand that you cannot give advice, but curious about viable options to investigate if you wish to go broader. Thanks for the question. Yeah, thanks, Hal. Uh, and, and reason for the question, of course, is, well, back it up. We hear we hear the media talk about the market all the time. Mm-hmm. Here's how the, the market's doing. Here's what the market's up or down today. But the market, according to the media, is what? The S&P Could be the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Sometimes you'll hear the NASDAQ. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of a handful of indices. Mm-hmm. But the challenges or the problem is there's there's thousands of these different indices, some mm-hmm. that track U.S. investments, some that track international investments, some that track small companies, large companies, everything in between. So what we want to do today is not give a specific recommendation, of course, but give an overview of what do these what do these indices actually mean? What's inside of some of them mm-hmm. and which ones maybe make most sense as you're looking to track or invest in companies that uh, are part of each? Yeah. Sound good? Absolutely. So, All right. Yeah, let's start with a, uh, let's give a touch of a framework though. Just think about investing in the stock market all the way around the globe. Anywhere we can go invest, there's really three main markets we can invest in. Okay. So there's the United States stock market. Mm-hmm. There's investing in what we call international markets. Mm-hmm. And there's investing in what we call emerging markets. Mm-hmm. So the US is obviously pretty obvious from most of our listeners since most are in the US. It's the United States stock market. Now, the UN, United States stock market, all stocks that are traded and available in the US, when you compare that to the world as a whole, is about 57% of the global stock market. Yep. So it's the biggest market there is. The next place you can go and invest is the international markets. International is developed international markets. So think the United Kingdom, Australia, um, Japan, Western European countries. Mm-hmm. That's international. And then emerging markets, um, but sorry, international is thirty percent yep. of the global market. Yep. yep. And then uh, emerging markets is thirteen percent to round us out to that nice hundred number. And those are com- uh, countries like China, Brazil, India, places like that. So companies, economies that are kind of up and coming in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's helpful because when it comes to designing a portfolio, you kind of know. You want to know how much of what I'm investing in is representative of just the stock market as a whole. Yeah. Not everything exists in the US. Not everything exists internationally. That's kind of a good breakdown of uh, just 
the value, the total value of different investments around the world. Now, when you are listening to the media talk about the stock market or reading about the stock market, most frequently or most of the time, they're probably talking about the S&P 500. Mm -hmm. This is probably the most common index that people will reference. What the S&P 500 is, is it is an index that measures the performance of 505 of the biggest companies in the U.S. These yep. companies, there's, there's certain metrics to be included in the S&P 500, but in general, it's 505 of the biggest companies. And what an index is designed to do is you have just, there, there's no one single stock market. You can't just invest in the stock market. All you have is a bunch of individual stocks. Mm -hmm. So you have these index providers like the S&P, so Standard & Poor's, that say, let's create this index that tracks the biggest 505 companies here in the US. Mm -hmm. And what that index does is it tracks the performance of each stock inside of it. It averages that through what's called a market cap weighted uh, weighting <laughs> strategy, which we'll, yes. we'll talk about here. And then it says, on average, was this index up or down? Or what was the actual performance of all these different investments? Mm-hmm. Let's use an example because that can get confusing. When I say it's a market cap weighted index, what is the biggest company in the U.S. right now, Scott? Apple. Apple. How big is it? It is huge. Huge. Good enough. Um, it's no. It's it's a it's a number that's really honestly it's hard to fathom. It's two point one trillion dollars. Yes. Does that mean they do $2.1 trillion of revenue or sales or what, what is that? What does that number mean? It's a good question. So if you take the number of shares that are available to trade and you multiply the number of shares times the stock price for an individual share, that equals the market capitalization of that company. So the largest company in the S&P 500 right now is Apple at $2.1 trillion. Great. So that's, that's the value of the company as determined by the market based on what the market's willing to pay for Apple stock. Yep. So the one way you can think of that is like if if um, if all of a sudden no one has faith in Apple and a bunch of people trade down Apple and it's worth 50% of what it was at our recording here, well, then it would be a trillion dollar company instead of a true trillion dollar company, right? Yes. So the value of the stock price is going to dictate the market cap that right. it gets to have. Right, exactly. So the Apple is the largest company in the U.S. It's also, well, because of that, it is the largest company in the S&P 500. Yes. What is the smallest company as of today, as of this recording, mm -hmm. in the S&P 500? Under Armour. Under Armour. Mm-hmm. Dan, what's the size of Under Armour today? Under Armour is a $9.5 billion company. Okay. So still so pretty big. That's a big company, but compared to... Apple, not compared to Apple. It's tiny. Yeah. So Apple makes up 5% of the S&P 500 and Under Armour makes up 0.01% of the S&P. Yeah. And so as we say that the Apple or the S&P 500 is market cap weighted, what that means is as Standard & Poor's is designing this index, if Apple doubles in size mm -hmm. by this time tomorrow, that's going to have a pretty significant impact on the value of the index, on the S&P 500 index as a whole. Right. We can just see because it's worth 5% of the market cap today, just assume nothing, no other company moves yep. and it doubles in size. Well, now it just grew to 10% of the value, mm -hmm. right? So it so it it moves the index a bunch Yeah. versus Under Armour can grow by like 10x and it does like nothing because it it's such a much. tiny little slice of the S&P 500. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that that's the S and P five hundred 
obviously there's 503 other companies inside of it yep. anywhere in between 2.1 trillion to 9.5 billion dollars but what that's primarily measuring is the performance of some of the biggest companies in the united states yes it's not a proxy for all the united states stock market just for that one piece of it pretty big piece of it but a piece of it what's yep. another index that starts to expand more outside of just these companies yeah. So why don't we just talk about a different, there's another, so there's different companies that track these indices, right? S&P, we just talked about Standard & Poor's. There's another company called Russell mm-hmm. and Russell Investments has their indexes. They have what we're going to call the Russell 3000, the Russell 1000 and the Russell 2000. Yes. Um, which one do you want to start with? I'd like to start with 3000. Okay. Let's yeah. start. Let's jump in there. So I, the, to me, well, if the S&P 500 is the biggest 505 companies, that's not all the companies. That's not all the stocks inside of the US. Mm-hmm. The Russell 3000 is going to track almost all, it's 98 or 99% of all of the publicly listed stocks in the United States. Right. So if you're a stock in the United States, you're probably inside of this index. Yeah. So it's funny that like, as far as bellwethers go, the we're so used to hearing things like, what did Dow Jones do? What the S&P 500 do? What the NASDAQ do? But if if the news really wanted to tell us what was happening, they would say what the Russell 3000 did today. Yeah. Because that basically is the US stock market. That encompasses everything, almost yeah. at least everything in the US. And what it's doing is, by, you know, because of its namesake, that 3000 companies in the US, more or less, um, it's going to track the price of all of those. And so you're going to get a much more accurate representation mm-hmm. of big companies, medium companies, small companies. And we start with the Russell 3000. You don't hear that very much, but you probably do hear one of the components of the Russell 3000, which is called the Russell 2000. Yeah, I, I hear about it because we're geeky. I bet most of our listeners don't. Yeah, most people <laughs> probably don't. But they Extreme should geeks. if they wanted to know what's happening the the small cap stocks in the world, in the U.S., right? That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So if the Russell 3000 tracks everything, the Russell 2000 is the smallest 2000 companies within the Russell 3000. Yeah, exactly. So this is going to track some of the smaller companies, some of which you've heard of, but many of which you haven't. Mm-hmm. If you were just to look at all the stocks in the S&P 500, you've probably heard of most of them. You've heard of Nike and McDonald's and Apple and Tesla and Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer and all these different companies. The Russell 2000, these are smaller companies that you may or may not have heard of. Now, there are some companies that you've heard of. And what are some of the bigger companies inside of the Russell 2000 today, Scott? Uh, Like Restoration Hardware. Heard of that. Penn National Gaming. Penn National Gaming, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And what's the approximate size? These are two of the biggest ones in the Russell 2000 today. What's the size of those today? Yep. So it's a touch of an anomaly because of some stuff going on and social media and people chasing down small companies. But it, they're about $13 billion right now. Just a month or so ago, though, the largest companies in the Russell 2000 were about $7.5 billion, mm-hmm. to give you some context. Yeah. And then the smallest companies in the Russell 2000 are probably going to hit around like a $100 million, $200 million mark for, for size of company. Yeah. So much smaller. So the biggest company in the Russell 2000 is about the same size as the smallest company in the S&P 500. Yeah. So what is that tracking? It's, it's tracking the performance of small companies, which like we said, just isn't really included in the S&P 500. One interesting thing to note, especially as we talk about how do you design a portfolio? Well, there's big companies and small companies and what tends to do better over time. And do you tilt to different parts of the market? Mm-hmm. Russell 2000 is 2000 companies out of the 3000 represented in the Russell 3000 as a whole 
Right. So it makes up most of it in terms of number of stocks. Right. But it only makes up about 10% of the Russell 3000 in terms of total value. Correct. And that's because the Russell 1000 are, is again, mar- well, Russell 3000, 2000, and 1000 are all market capitalization weighted. Mm-hmm. So that w- those 1000 companies are taking up the lion's share of the capitalization. Right. Right. So it's a really small set of, even though there's a big number, 2000 companies, it's only 10% of the market cap of the 3000 companies. Right. Russell 1000 is the top 1000 of the Russell 3000. So mm-hmm. if this is a lot of terms and numbers. Just to break it down, the Russell 3000, that kind of covers all of the US. Yes. Russell 1000 is the largest 1000 of those 3000. The Russell 2000, which is a proxy for small companies, is the smallest 2000. I think we've lost everyone by now. (laughs) If you are still listening, stay tuned. We now have to dive into other parts of this. Uh, But the reason we talk about this is because the Russell 3000 is the best benchmark there is, in our opinion, for just what's the broad market doing in the United States all the time. Yes. Right? That's the good place to start. And it's honestly a simple way to have exposure. Anything that's investing similar as an index to the Russell 3000 is a simple way to have exposure to the United States stock market without trying to choose, do I want to invest more in large companies or less and invest more in small companies? Like If you just want to go straight across the board, it's a pretty easy way to do it. It's it, 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 literally this morning I was getting my haircut. My barber was talking, he was asking what I did. And he said, he said, I do a financial plan. He said, oh, I don't know anything. You know, I just put my stuff in the big blue chip S&P 500 index. And I said, you know, that's actually not a bad place to start. Like, yeah. If, if that's all you ever did, great. But more of a representative index of everything would be something like this Russell 3000. Broader diversification, Broader right? Broader diversification. You own some more things other than just the top 500 companies or so. Now, even with the Russell 3000, though, as we started with, that still only represents about 57% of the total stock market index in the world. Yes. What else should we look at? Yes. The next place we're going to go is uh, developed markets, like we'd mentioned before. So for there, we switched to a different company, Morgan Stanley Capital Index. It's called MSCI for short. And MSCI EFA, E-A-F-E, EFA stands for Europe. Australasia and Far East, Mm. which is basically those countries we were mentioning before. It's like New Zealand, Australia, Japan, um, the United Kingdom, a lot of European countries, um, Israel's in the list, um, basically developed world economy Yeah, outside of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And this is important because this makes up almost a third of all the companies you could invest in globally. Mm -hmm. So- yeah, we, we uh, don't often hear about international indices mentioned when you're kind of just looking at financial media you don't. or reading the paper. You're just going to hear S and P or Dow or Nasdaq. But this is this is almost a third of all the companies. Yes, and I can't remember exactly which one we did, but we did an episode on diversification on global diversification, mm-hmm. and especially right now, like most recently, the last decade, the United States and especially large stocks in the United States have been just beating everything. Yeah. So you can, you can, there's a part of you that can just go with like a recency bias and go like, I'll just keep investing in that. It's what's doing well. Well, there's almost always a changing of the guard. We just yep. don't know when it's going to be. So investing broadly, investing in international markets can make a lot of sense too. It does. And and sometimes there's a fear around investing internationally because it's kind of the unknown. Mm-hmm. But it's companies like Nestle is a big yes. company here. Roche. Roche. Yeah. Uh, you know, for this podcast, we use uh, Fiverr to edit Volkswagen. Some of stuff. Fiverr's an Israeli <laughs> company, Volkswagen, yeah. uh, Daimler, Mercedes Benz. So 
it's it's not like it's these big unknown companies. They are mm-hmm. big companies, but they're very well known, mm-hmm. and they just don't happen to be headquartered here in the U.S. So we want to make sure that if we're diversifying our portfolio, we are also capturing the performance and the diversification of these types of great companies. Right. Yeah. From there, we move on to emerging markets, which is the thirteen percent of what's left. Or is there anything else you want to add about developed markets? No. That's okay. that's. That's perfect. Okay, cool. So there we stay with the Morgan Stanley Capital Index, and they have something called Emerging Markets Index. So the Morgan Stanley Capital Index Emerging Markets. Um, so those are companies, again, like Brazil, China, India, um, South Korea, uh, places like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're they're considered they're they're not considered developed. Now, don't it's not about it's really about when this was made, right? It's kind of coming off of like post-World War II, who was considered developed, who wasn't considered developed, and who's been coming up since. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these emerging markets company countries are actually very far along now, mm-hmm. but they're still in this index. Yeah. What are some examples of companies in here? Uh, Taiwan yeah. Semiconductor. Alibaba. Um, uh, Nokia. Uh, Nokia? Yes? Mm. No, they're developed or no. Sorry, Nokia's markets. Nokia. I'm, I, I meant to say uh, uh, their competitor, Samsung. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Alibaba, big big companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And emerging markets makes up thirteen percent of uh, all investable opportunities. But this is where a lot of these are the countries where the middle class is, gl- is growing. These are the countries where uh, kind of standard of living is rapidly rising. So mm-hmm. this is these are the countries where yes, there's there is more risk investing in some of these stocks and these investments today. Mm-hmm. But the goal of I mean the reason people are investing here is because this is where a lot of the growth is happening. Obviously that's not a recommendation yep. for this, but no but when you look at it as a whole, this this emerging markets typically is more are more volatile yeah. than IFA and and the Russell three thousand. And that just comes back to the idea of developed companies working in developed world are the largest players in the space. Yeah. And now you move to the emerging markets where there's smaller players coming up. It's just going to be more volatile yep. by nature. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anything else to add on that? No, I mean, I would just say like, once you understand that, I think there's a few questions you can ask. Like, do you want to invest more in large companies versus small companies? Like you can, you can start playing with this and figuring out where do you want to go? There's also things we call sub indices, basically meaning like, um, do you want to just look at a sleeve of a particular type of companies like financials or energy or consumer staples, which basically means like toilet paper, <laughs> you know, yep. like, like there just know that there's like 5,000 indices, but you really, if you just focus on three big ones, the Russell 3000, MSCI EFA and MSCI emerging markets, you're covering the majority of all companies in the world. Yeah. So there's over 5,000. We've covered six. Mm-hmm. It's 4,994 to go. Which one do we do next? None. None? Okay. No. That's, a, that's for a di- wait. We need to <laughs> we'll have so many there. other questions answered. Well, and the thing is, like you said, it's it's not like all these, in, not each index tracks an entirely different part of the market. No. It's if you talking about those three that you just mentioned, Russell 3000, and then MSCI, EFA, and emerging markets, you're covering almost everything in right. that. Every other index is just slicing the market in a different way or looking at it in a different way yes. or tracking a sector or you have different companies like Russell, like Standard & Poor's, like Morgan Stanley, all kind of doing the same thing in many ways. So yes. there's a whole bunch of different indices, but I think it is good to know what at least some of the core ones are tracking 
So if you're designing a portfolio, you can start to understand what should maybe a benchmark be, what should you be uh, focused on in terms of how much of the global stock market is covered by each of these main indices. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I hope this was helpful for Al. You know, from there, where where you take it is, we did a whole episode on kind of investing and building portfolios in the past. But this is where you want to start looking at: well, how much do I need in the stock market first of all to begin with, and how much do I need in the bond market? What's my overall allocation? And once you know the equity slice, then you're going to ask yourself questions like: Do I want to invest more in my own home? Do I want to have what's called a home bias, which a lot of people do? They just feel safer investing more in the United States than other other places, even though evidence doesn't really necessarily always support that. Mm -hmm. Do you want to invest more into a little bit more into smaller companies because over time they have been proved shown, like with with time, to typically do a little bit better than large companies. These are all choices that you have to make or make with an advisor um, to to do what's right for you. Absolutely. And that, that series, if Al, if you do want to reference it or any listeners, where we kind of take a deeper dive in terms of the principles that Scott's talking about, it's episode 71, 72, 73. We call it the Better Investor Series of how do you use some of this information to construct a portfolio for your goals. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, anything else with this? No, I think we're good. All right, Al, thank you for your question. Thank you all for your questions. They're very helpful and we enjoy going to discuss them. And we will see you all next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.